0: King, look out. What is this? Yeah, I'll tell you, that, that was McFarley. That's the real man time. Nobody asked him to come out here. Triple H did just a few moments ago. Triple H, that is enough. We saw. Vicious side of Mick Foley Monday night after being driven through the Is this the table what by you Triple get H? off on? Making fun of me? How much more do you want from me? First, you take away my job. Then you bring this idiot out there and you take away my dignity. Then, Monday night, in what should have been the greatest night of my life, when I was reinstated on Roy's war. You take me, and you ruin my shirt. What? And you ruin my face. And I'll be honest, when I stepped into that shower and I let the cold water run down on my head, and i looked down at the blood as it swirled around that shower drain i started thinking a little bit about what mankind was now mankind is an entertaining son of a gun mankind is a pretty damn good author mankind is one tough SOB and mankind is one hell of a fighter so it saddens me to say that after the beating you gave me on Monday night one thing mankind is not is ready to face you in a street fight at the Royal Rumble in Madison Square Garden not. because you are without a doubt the game you are the best in the business right now and as you said well mankind in some ways is nothing more than a beaten up pathetic fool but I think the WWF fans deserve a substitute in that match substitute? he's chicken and out? what I'm going to do Triple H is I'm going to name him right now as a matter of fact I think you know the guy uh oh oh no. no 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 and I think you know him pretty damn well his name Official act as part of the WWF is to kick your teeth all over the city of Chicago. Cactus Jack is back! Cactus Jack is he back and he's, he's the, got the dangerous out. human being! Cactus Jack after Triple H! And here we go! Cactus Jack hammering away on the WWF champion! Get out of there, game! Nick the Wally is more vicious! More
1: Hello, my name is Chris White and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where we're going back in the time machine to January of the year 2000 to bring you the first WWF episode of the year. Joining me for this foray into all things Fed, we have firstly Eric Landrum. Eric, how you doing? I'm well, sir. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And we also have joining us, uh,
2: Billy Johnson. Billy? Uh, how- evening, gentlemen.
1: Good to have you both on the show, As uh, looking forward to this one, the the first uh, WWF show of the millennium. Let's hope uh, the year 2000 will be kinder to the Fed than uh, 1999 was. Before we uh, get to our review of the Royal Rumble pay-per-view, it is January after all, we have a few newsworthy weeks of TV for us to to discuss and a few storylines that are worth highlighting before we get to that show. Um, I'd like to start off uh, by talking about uh, an angle that happened on the first Raw of the year on the 3rd of January. That particular show opened with The Rock coming out to a huge ovation, as is routine these days. He challenged Triple H to a match that night, um, but Hunter refused and instead booked himself in a WWF title match against The Big Show and also booked The Rock in a handicap match a Handicap Your Fired match, in fact, against the New Age Outlaws and X-Pac. Uh, so if The Rock uh, lost that match, he would be fired from the WWF, joining Mick Foley, uh, as we know from nine t- uh, the, from one of the last rules uh, last year, uh, in the unemployment line. So uh, we can kick things off discussing that very championship match, because we did have quite the newsworthy outcome Uh, so the finish came uh, when X-Pac ran down to ringside causing a distraction, referee ordering him to go backstage but Hunter took advantage, kicking the Big Show low behind the referee's back following up with a pedigree after about 7 minutes of action this was enough for a free count and Triple H is once again the WWF champion, so we've started the year 2000 slap bang in the middle of the episode of Raw, not the main event with a WWF title change. Um, Eric, I'll come to you first. What did you make of the title change, the match, and uh, just overall, what did you make of the Big Show's first title reign?
3: <laughs> it's becoming a bit of a routine to have a title match switch hands on the first Raw of the year now, isn't it? I, I don't think this one's going to put as many butts in the seats uh, as last year's did. Um, this was a pretty good television match. Uh, you know, the Big Show's had... Some hit and miss affairs, I think it would be kind to say, during his his tenure so far in the Fed. But this was a pretty good television match. Look, we knew that Big Show was not going to go into WrestleMania as champion. I didn't think they would take him off, take it off him, you know, halfway through Raw. And uh, kind of a, as far as Raw goes, a, a relatively clean finish. There wasn't that much interference. Um, one pedigree, and boom, he's done in seven minutes. This was a pretty strong showing from from Triple H and kind of maybe was an appropriate end to the Big Show's lackluster first title reign I don't think anybody will remember this unless something memorable comes from it but with the way the rest of the month played out kind of just was it Big Show's no longer world champ and I don't see why anybody would want to see him hold that title again
1: yeah Billy uh, over to you really sort of same thoughts on the title change and that first reign for the Big Show
2: uh, first reign for the Big Show. Really, it's not very memorable at all, anyway whatsoever. Um, I think they're right in swapping it back to Triple H. It's definitely the man that they should be going with. Uh, I sort of have to wonder why they decided to take it off him in the first place, really, um, and give it to Big Show when they really didn't seem to have any solid plans for him. I have to wonder why they did that. As for the match itself, I think, like Eric said, it was a rather decent TV match. You know, seven minutes. Wasn't offensive in any way whatsoever. And it just politely moves Big Show aside and uh get off to the races with Hunter again.
1: Yeah, I think considering this was a WWF title change, like, this has got to be one of the most forgettable title <laughs> changes of all time. Like, Seven-minute match, like, nothing wrong with it, as you rightly say, Billy, inoffensive, but certainly mediocre to decent at best. And the finish, like, relatively clean, as you say, Eric, but also pretty much, like, the most lame distraction mid-card finish you could expect, like, uh, sort of the last few years. How many times have we seen this sort of distraction end a mid-card two-minute TV match? Like it's the WWF title in the middle of the show. And I think it is just indicative of what is clearly by this stage been basically recognized as a mistake putting the title on the big show. And, uh, it really does sum up his reign all in all. I'm going to say it for what the third or fourth show in a row, they should have put the title on Kane instead of the big show. At, uh, when they did, it made so much more storyline sense. And, uh, I don't think it would have gone as badly, even if Kane had held the title for the exact same amount of time. And I think you could have got more out of it on TV than we did the big show. I don't think it's done the big show any favours at all. Um, A completely forgettable reign, but also I think when you have a run with the title and you do nothing with it and we get nothing memorable from it, your stock must drop drastically because the next time we're in a situation where a top guy goes down and plans change and we're looking for someone to carry the belt, the show shouldn't really be in consideration. Cause he's kind of like, whether it's his fault or not, he's, he's kind of worked himself out of that spot. Now I wouldn't consider him as someone I'd put the belt on in the foreseeable foreseeable future. Um, and it's, it's a shame really, because I mean, he's not even been in the company a full year. And uh, I I don't think he's, like, irredeemable, um, but, I mean, they've, they're, 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 he's basically very much worse off he, and uh, than he was when they signed him. Like, it's, it's, it, he's, he's worth less to the company, and, and you just think, like, the idea of having Paul White at the time join the WWF could have been something reasonably big, if, like, no pun intended there, but it's been anything but. Um, and all in all a big disappointment so far
3: isn't this an example of like an odd and rare example of the belt not only not elevating the performer but the performer actually like demeaning the belt like the belt feels less important like the championship feels less important now that the big show I, i don't know maybe it's just because we're kind of in this run where it's gone from Austin to Triple H, which was kind of a downgrade to Big Show, which was a huge downgrade back to Triple H. So maybe it's on the upswing, but I feel like the belt even became devalued, but in some degree by the Big Show's reign. It's just, yeah, all in all, very bad.
1: Yeah, and I think the fact that they put the belt on a guy who was feuding with someone in the Boss Man, who had recently been in a match like the Kennel from Hell, um, oh. and like. was slap bang in the middle of this like wacky over the top mid card at best comedy feud like and they just like threw the title on him like with no build like literally just like he came out for a main event and that was that um you've 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 not really insert it didn't really feel like you inserted the big show into the title picture it felt like you inserted the title into the big show picture which yeah which uh it's not a good.
3: It wasn't a good picture before they put the belt in there.
1: No, it wasn't. Um, so, yeah, really disappointing. And I, I, I don't think, um, to be fair, no more disappointing than I do. Maybe disappointing is the wrong word because this is kind of what I expected from this title reign. Like you're right to point out earlier. Like we knew he wasn't going to be the champion at WrestleMania. Um, so it's sort of a like lame duck champion like from the off, and they just didn't really do a lot with him in that time and uh yeah really underwhelming and my expectations couldn't have been much lower going into it really uh so the next thing i'd like to dis- discuss and it also stems from that first raw is uh mick foley himself and the bill to the wwf championship match at the royal rumble pay-per-view so uh as we know, throughout 1999, Foley had acknowledged that he was coming uh, towards the end of his in-ring career, at least full-time. Uh, and we did end the year uh, with him fired from the WWF. On that first roar of the month, DX poked fun at Foley with a series of segments throughout the show uh, entitled uh, Have a Bad Day. Uh, they made fun of his... Uh, Firing, showing mankind, a Mankind impersonator at the unemployment office. Um, later, Mankind was at a bookstore signing his book, I've Been Fired. Uh, no one showed up to buy any and he was dismissed by the bookstore owner. And then in the main event of the show, Mankind made his return um, in that previously mentioned Handicap Your Fired match. Uh, with The Rock facing the three members of DX. He attacked uh, the three members of DX with a chair and paved the way for The Rock to pick up the win after a rock bottom on Billy Gunn. Those Have a Bad Day uh, segments continued on SmackDown the following week, Mankind making his way around Universal Studios in Orlando. He asked the kid if he wanted his autograph, but the child started to cry, and the father asked Foley to go away. Uh, There was plenty more uh, shenanigans throughout the year, Throughout the episode of SmackDown with uh, Foley at Universal Studios, but it culminated in Mick Foley attacking the imposter at the theme park. Uh, Billy, what did you make of sort of mankind's, well, in a way, reintroduction to TV, but like just how they kept that initial story going with the Hunter Foley feud sort of before it really emerged the first couple of weeks of TV?
2: Um, This was actually. Like a lot of bad comedy, but it was a good in a kind of way, if you know what I mean by saying that. Um, <laughs> a lot of it was very silly, but you know what? Mankind is sort of a sympathetic babyface, so it sort of worked for him, to be perfectly honest. And uh, Triple H, um, I wouldn't give up your day job, mate, because your acting isn't exactly your forte. But, you know, he tried. um it was just all good fun, um, and I liked the way that it was all executed. I thought it all came out very nicely. It gave uh, Foley a lot of uh, fire to come back at Triple H on the following Raw.
1: Yeah, Eric, what did you make of these uh, segments and sort of Foley uh, being, well, I say reintroduced? He never really left our TV screens, but sort of back on TV in this way. No.
3: Right. No, it, it was fine, I guess. It's WWF-style humor, and you kind of get this. But for me, looking in hindsight, with the type of match that we'll end up talking about here in a few minutes that Triple H and inevitably Cactus Jack had at the Rumble, it seems odd to look back that the real build for that started with these like comedy sketches. Um, that would be better served for maybe like a mid-card feud. So they got there fine. In hindsight, it was a little bit strange that the match they had started in, with this. I guess that just speaks to how well it was booked after this. These are fine. I don't know if I would have started a blood feud with them.
1: Yeah, I I, I I totally agree with what you're saying. Like they don't feel representative in hindsight of what we end up getting at the pay per view, which is a bloodbath. And I think I guess the the sort of internal logic must just be like the way you have this like reemergence of Cactus Jack kind of papers over the cracks like in the story and that's how you get like the jump like this is poking fun at mankind and mick foley and not cactus jack i don't know no,
3: i think you're totally right actually i i think you're 100 percent on point like bring back cactus jack and then all this bullshit stop mankind at this point is kind of a comedy character frankly so it suits that character and this is kind of like meta wrestling booking but yeah, by the time Cactus Jack comes back, it's not funny anymore.
1: Yeah, stuff really escalates at that stage, and you end up. I mean, they do still go from um, this to the Rumble match pretty quickly in like what two weeks of TV. Like, yeah, um, they get there quite quickly. But I think when you do have Cactus Jack and sort of the as a like a fan who like will have followed um Foley's career like across like the last decade basically um you you would know like well if you pay attention maybe there's kind of WWF get away with being a little bit lazy in their storytelling because of the memories people have of Cactus Jack and sort of the emotional weight of just Mick Foley being a complete lunatic at times in the ring and like you kind of I don't know, you, you can sort of paper over the cracks in the story because it's Cactus Jack and he's back and it's Mick Foley and you don't really need a reason for Mick Foley to do a hardcore match. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I, I they don't necessarily build to what we get, but, I mean, we'll talk about it in our actual pay-per-view review, but uh, I don't think that undercuts um, that match uh, too much, really, at all. Um, So the following episode of Raw on the 10th of January opened with the Rock in the Ring. Uh, He he had the majority of the WWF locker room uh, surrounding the ring in support. He said that every WWF superstar was ready to walk out of the company to join a new federation, the World Rock Federation. Rocky said that tonight. Uh, Triple H and Steph will reinstate Mick Foley. Hunter came out on the stage and he said that if Rocky wants Foley reinstated, then as of right now, Mick Foley is back in the World Wrestling Federation. Eventually, Mick Foley entered the ring stood alongside Rock. Uh, he got a huge ovation, as you'd expect. He was in his Mankind attire for this segment. Um, he said he wanted to acknowledge the dozen of Mankind fans for their cards and letters of support. Uh <laughs> Foley said that he wanted to thank The Rock for his kind words uh, and for supporting him. He condemns Triple H for mocking him and his family, so he's got a suggestion for the Royal Rumble. He's got a hell of a main event lined up. Triple H versus Mick Foley in Madison Square Garden. Hunter said Foley's got his match. That night, however, uh, in quite the uh, turn of events, did end with Triple H pinning Mankind following a pedigree to the end of a standard raw eight-man tag. Uh, but as we've previously mentioned, it wouldn't actually be Mankind uh, facing the game for the WWF title at the Royal Rumble because the following week on SmackDown, Foley uh, he pr- proclaimed that Mankind was not ready for the street fight at the Rumble. He took off his mask and then took off his shirt to reveal that Cactus Jack t-shirt. The hardcore legend is back and he will be challenging for the title at the Rumble. So, I mean, we've kind of touched on it, Eric, already, but what did you make on sort of... Obviously, we had sort of the mid-card-esque comedy for the first couple of weeks of the, of the feud, but they turned it around, and we got from this episode of the Smackdown with Cactus Jack and sort of how they turned the story around and it turned a corner, bringing Cactus back to where we ended up at the pay-per-view.
3: No, I thought this was great. It was a good, good little turn in the storyline i don't know I, is mankind the main event draw at this point no but Cact- maybe not i don't know but maybe cactus jack is and it immediately sets the tone for what type of match this is going to be how seriously this match is for mick foley or it, how serious this match is for mick foley and also thinking about this if he is kind of finishing up his run here um in some respect i, I bet he just wants to finish out as cactus jack which is his best best character um, I also think it makes a lot of sense because at this point, Cactus Jack is probably a better version of McFoley to help hide some of the physical limitations that the last decade of getting his ass kicked for a living has has caused him lately. So I think introducing Cactus Jack here makes sense on a lot of levels. It, 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 I, I can't criticize it at all. Billy, what did you make
1: of it all? Uh,
2: you know what? I think they did uh, a really good job of uh, executing it all. Really, um, you know. Obviously, Mankind has sort of become a uh, uh, cuddly <laughs> character more than <laughs> anything, a sympathetic baby face. And, uh, no, um, for for sort of realised, uh, from character point of view, that he needed to deep down deep and go back to being uh, Cactus Jack to be able to sort of hang with the champion, I thought that was a, a good idea. And I thought everything was uh, well executed here, actually.
1: Yeah, I think they did it really well. Um, I was a little bit baffled at the end of that Raw where uh, Mankind took the pin following a pedigree and it seemed like, well, if you're booking a title match between these two, I'm not sure you'd have him lose in a pretty clean fashion in a tag match on Raw to the guy he's going to be facing for the title. But then bringing back Cactus Jack is like symbolic of maybe yeah, stepping it up a gear and being prepared to sort of take things to that hardcore level, I guess. And you kind of right the wrongs of mankind slipping into like a comedy baby face. You you immediately discard that, bring back Cactus Jack. It's symbolic of so much more of Foley's career. And uh, although he's absolutely sensational pretty much at anything he does, whether it is silly WWF wacky comedy um this is far more in tune with what you'd expect for a pay-per-view uh, like the Royal Rumble at Madison Square Garden for the WWF title and it was uh, really well executed and I think by the time you got to the Rumble there was I think it was hard not to be really excited for that title match and um I think that's a credit to how the Fed built towards it uh Really well, basically. Um, The last thing, really, I'd like us to go into in great detail before we get to the Rumble review itself is the Intercontinental title picture. So if you uh, cast your minds back to Armageddon last month, uh, Chris Jericho defeated China to win the belt. Um, And I'd speculated on the show that I'd uh, maybe like to see the pair move Uh, sort of to work in together. We had an angle where uh, China was quite humble after Jericho's victory at the pay-per-view and it took Chris off guard Um, and I thought maybe there was some scope to down the line seeing them as a tag team and it would uh, help China out because she'd obviously get more experience working with different guys in the ring but also having the ability to tag Chris Jericho in and go on the apron that's also... Uh puts her sort of not out of the spotlight for a bit, but maybe you can hide a few more of her deficiencies if she does have a tag team partner. Um, the year ended with Jericho defending his title against China on SmackDown uh, and both of them ended up being uh, pinned at the same time in the finish showed both of them having their shoulders down on the mat. Stephanie McMahon ruled that Jericho and China were to be co-holders of the title. Um, This meant that only one of them could defend the belt at any one time. But if any of them lost the title, then both of them would lose it. Uh, Shortly after, Hardcore Holly, he began uh, going for the Intercontinental title, but was defeated by China uh, when she defended the belt against him. He would team uh, with uh, Crash Holly in matches against China and Jericho, where they worked as a tag team but it was eventually decided that at the royal rumble china jericho and hardcore holly would wrestle in a triple threat match to determine the sole undisputed holder of the intercontinental championship uh billy what did you make of the build to uh, the ic title match at the rumble and just generally the co-champion program um the, the f- first three weeks of the year
2: oh, i didn't like any of this i'll be perfectly honest with you um I think what annoyed me more than anything, uh, is that he devalues like the title by having it on two people. Now it doesn't doesn't really make a whole lot of sense on how they basically executed all of this. Um I, I just I, I really didn't like any of it. I I don't agree that there should be a code two co champions or whatever they wanted to bill it as. I didn't think it was a good idea. Uh, Like I said, I thought it was poorly executed. And um, the IC title obviously is not as prestigious as it once was. And this is just going to hurt it even more, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, Eric, what did you make of the co-champion storyline?
3: I completely agree that this is not helping the, the prestige of the Intercontinental title. But I thought this was pretty entertaining stuff. I don't know. Maybe I just have low expectations for the mid card after all of 1999 between all three companies. But I don't know. I thought this was fine. It, you know, Jericho's kind of struggled and floundered, and at least he has some something to do that involves character work. And he's kind of building on the persona he started in WCW. We're seeing some more personality from China, and I think that can't hurt at all if she's going to blossom into a mainstream star. Um and I think oddly, like them working together has kind of elevated both of them because it. China's matches before Jericho were even worse. They're not great now, but Jericho can pull China through to a, a decent match. We'll see that at the Rumble the, where the match was not nearly as bad as it probably should have been. Um, I, I agree with Billy that, you know, logically, this doesn't really make much sense. And the only time we've ever really had a co-champion, co-IC champion situation is... I think in 94, but these two aren't going to blow off with a ladder match at WrestleMania. So I don't think those are really comparable feuds. Yeah. I I think if this goes and China can build her character a little bit more and and branch off from Jericho and then Jericho can have that strong kind of razor Ramon level, icy title run to elevate him and and hold down that mid card now that all of his spoiler alert buddies are in and we suddenly have a strong, upper mid card and the WWF after what seems like a decade of having nothing close to that. Yeah. I think as long as they pivot off this correctly, uh, I have no issues with it. I thought it was entertaining.
1: Yeah. I kind of agree with both of you in the sense that it's not really what I'd want for the intercontinental title, but I found it entertaining nonetheless. And I think, um, I don't know. I was in two minds heading into the rumble that either I wanted Jericho to win it and then, Obviously, again, as you mentioned, um, Eric, like uh, the uh, four big signings for the Fed this month, that we'll talk about later. Um, You could build a really strong intercontinental title picture. But a part of me thought, do you know what? Like maybe we're not beyond salvaging this title, but maybe it's not a priority right now. Put it on Hardcore Holly. um, You can still transition to one of the newbies eventually. And I would like to see Jericho and China basically carry on what they're doing. Uh, You don't need the co-champion nonsense. Just do it as a tag team. Like it's fine. They tagged anyway. Like you can carry on that storyline, allow both of them to work on their characters a bit more and hide China's weaknesses a bit more and like have a keep working with Jericho. And eventually you can transition that back out into another like you like you've got a storyline there for a good couple of months that keeps both of them occupied on tv every week and most likely on pay-per-views um but uh yeah i i don't know it's it, it basically just depends what the wwf would like to do with the intercontinental title and how much of a priority they feel it is right now um and i i guess that remains to be seen throughout the rest of the year but uh It wasn't a great start in terms of prestige um, for the belt, but I thought in terms of an entertaining program, um, it was perfectly fine. And with that, uh, it is time for us to move to our review of the Royal Rumble Um, pay-per-view. I hope, because I forgot to mention it before we started recording, that one of you will have the results to hand to go over the results. I do have them. Thank you very much, Eric. Would you mind kicking us off with the results for the Royal Rumble pay-per-view?
3: Yes, and just to clarify as a tradition, would you like me to read all 30 entrants in the 2000 Royal Rumble? I'm happy to do it. I've got well, I mean, it right
1: here. We're nothing but traditional on this show, so uh,
3: right. I, I think you better. At least it's not World War Three. But anyway, <laughs> in the 2000 uh, Royal Rumble 2000, in the opening match, Taz, yes, Taz, defeated... Kurt Angle, Uh, then the Hardy Boys defeated the Dudley Boys in a tag-team tables match. In the uh, events we just discussed, uh, Chris Jericho did become the undisputed intercontinental champion, defeating China and Hardcore Holly. Uh, The New Age Outlaws made quick work of the Acolytes to retain the tag-team titles. Uh, Triple H defeated Cactus Jack in a street fight uh, to retain the WWF championship. And The Rock was, I guess... The last man standing um, to win the Royal Rumble match. And now, in order, the Royal Rumble participants. D'Lo Brown, Groundmaster Sexay, Mosh, Christian, Rikishi, Scotty Tuhati, Steve Blackman, Visera, The Boss Man, Test, The British Bulldog, Gangrel, Edge, Bob Backlund, Chris Jericho, Crash Holly, China. Farouk, Road Dog, Al Snow, Val Venus, Prince Albert, Hardcore Holly, The Rock, who came in at 24 to win the thing, Billy Gunn, Big Show, Bradshaw, Kane, The Godfather, and X-Pac, rounded out the field.
1: Thank you very much, Eric. Excellent stuff, as always. Uh, Give you a little breather. Billy, what did you make of the pay-per-view?
2: Um... (laughs) <laughs> it's a bit of a tough pay-per-view really uh, to say whether it was great or good or whatever word you want to use now rumble match was uh, but obviously the world title match sort of saved it for me in my opinion uh, but I would definitely say that yes you should go and check out this show
1: Eric what did you make of the show
3: there were some very glaring problems at certain points with this show, um, including a segment which did not come up in the technical results uh, that I've, I've just offered, uh, which will come up at the end of the year as well. I'm certain of it. Um, and, and then a couple of odd finishes here and there. And But then on the other hand, there were probably two match of the year candidates on this show, including the world title match and the right result. I guess in the Royal rumble. So I, I think for the first time in a while, we had a show that had significantly more good on it than bad. The bad was just really bad.
1: Yes. Um, uh, that segment that you mentioned, uh, is certainly problematic, but in terms I, I did my utmost to try and ignore it and have tried to forget about it since, but I think you're right in that. I better jot that one down for the, uh, December awards show. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's just because the latter half of last year, maybe all of last year, yeah. we were so starved with good WWF pay-per-views that this, like, I don't know. I, I, I think they've just beaten my expectations into the ground to the point that I thought this was a really good show. Like Again, there's there are problems. I'm not saying this is a perfect 10 out of 10 show, but there were some great matches on here and I thought the Rumble was a pretty good rumble i like the opener um yeah the the tables match was good um a bit of a low in the middle but then the last yeah the the title match was uh, exceptional and i thought as far as rumbles go this was pretty watchable if not slightly routine but um then i was thinking about oh it was a bit routine maybe a bit patterned and a bit obvious the outcome but I don't think obvious is always a bad thing like it's logical at least and it was certainly um, less glaring as to what the story of the match was going to be than last year where we had uh, Austin chasing Vince around outside of the ring for God knows how long like so I was quite generous I think overall with the show but it remains to be seen whether the problems and the bad stuff, skew my opinion um, as we recap it here and uh, I end up being slightly not as high on it maybe by the end um, but I, I, I would say uh, going in uh, my, my initial thoughts were I had a fun time watching this show which is not something I could say for many WWF pay-per-views recently so live from Madison Square Garden uh, we have Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, Lawler welcoming us to the show from their commentary table at ringside. Out first, we have Kurt Angle making his entrance to quite loud boos. Um, He's scheduled to face a mystery opponent. Uh, Angle said this building was famous and it deserves to have a true champion performing in it. He ripped on the New York Knicks, saying that if we waited for them to win a championship, we'd be waiting forever. So Angle decided that he would be their champion. He said concerning his unnamed opponent he knows the person has to be nervous to be facing an undefeated american hero and he encouraged the person to take a deep breath let it all out and promise that this would be something you could tell your grandkids about one day and then we heard this
0: come on out here and give it your all three eyes, jr 248 pounds, yeah. It's Taz! It it's Taz, not wasting any time! Getting around the face of the undefeated Kurt Angle! Oh, and the backdrop on the top rope by the human suplex machine!
1: Former ECW world champion Taz made his entrance to an absolutely huge pop in Madison Square Garden. He makes his way to the ring and we are underway straight away as Taz goes right for Angle with punches, followed by a back body drop over the top to the floor. Angle comes back with a suplex on the ramp uh, before putting his foot on the throat of Taz, followed by a belly-to-belly suplex, Back inside, Angle goes up top but Taz grabs the top rope to trip him up and Taz hits a belly-to-belly suplex off the top rope for a two count. Angle gets an inside cradle for a two before hitting a clothesline and a bridging German suplex for another two count. Angle looks for the slam uh, but Taz gets out of it and counters with a German suplex. Taz hits an overhead belly-to-belly suplex and an exploder. He then picks Angle up hooks the Tasmanian sleeper hold and Kurt Angle passes out in the choke with Taz declared the winner after little more than three minutes of action. Post-match, medical personnel are at ringside to help Angle. He's put on a stretcher and taken away quickly, still unconscious. Uh, JR and King speculated that it may have been more of a choke than a sleeper that put Angle out, King claiming that this is an illegal move and that Angle was in fact still undefeated. Eric, what did you make of uh, Taz's his debut in the WWF and uh, our opening match?
3: We don't use the p-word very often, but was this perfect? I th- think this was perfect.
2: You have uh, a oh, guy,
3: yeah. in, you have a guy in Kurt Angle who's been running roughshod and is kind of riding this undefeated streak, and <laughs> he calls out anybody, and then Taz comes out and just beats the shit out of him and chokes him out in about three minutes. And it's perfectly executed because you don't bury the heel because you give the, the heel, who's kind of a chicken shit heel, even though he's an amazing amateur wrestler. Uh, you give the heel a little bit of an out in that, was it a choke? Was it a submission? Is it a legal move? You know, was it legal on Taz's old promotion and it's not legal here? And it, it allows these guys to kind of build up to a match and it gives Angle an out. And I just thought this was perfect and it was all done in under 10 minutes.
2: Billy, what did you make of everything? Uh, well, this match itself was uh, perfectly fine. Um, it was a good showcase for Taz, and he was booked really strong against Kurt Angle. Who was obviously, you know, rising up through the undercard into the midcard, and he's becoming sort of a solid act for the Fed. So this was sort of a big scalp for him. Uh, I don't mind necessarily the way that they decided to go with the illegal choke I haven't got a problem with them going that way as long as it does lead to a program between the two because you've sort of uh, got this issue uh, with Taz and Angle now and if they don't go down that route and it's just sort of like quietly ignored and Angle moves on to something else then I sort of think it's a bit of a disappointment for them to to do that but um no, perfectly fine. <laughs> really good good match and they all got it done. I believe it was like a 4 minute match. Wonderful job.
3: Yeah. Chris Chris, can we just Sorry to cut you off there. Can we just talk about how freaking awesome Taz's music is too? Just the whole presentation. Just bravo.
1: Oh yeah, it was so good. Like the yeah, the music was sensational. His entrance just everything about him, his demeanor is just made for this sort of big time and it felt like a huge way to kick off the pay-per-view and like, I, I don't know everything about it. I think, I think you're right to label it basically the perfect start to a pay-per-view like a fast match, loads of action. Yeah. I think it came in just under the four minute mark. And I mean, there was a hell of a lot of suplexes here. <laughs> it was probably about as good a three minute, three to four minute pay-per-view match you're ever going to see. Um, I was slightly surprised. I mean, you had to do it because it's his debut. Like there's no other finish, but I'm surprised that Taz did go over so convincingly um, because Angle's been very impressive and had a good run since he debuted on TV and had his first match back in November. And, um, but I do suppose they've given him the out with that illegal submission Uh, uh, like a legal choke or legitimate submission sort of storyline um one thing i'd like to talk about there were rumors um that taz was originally scheduled to debut in the royal rumble match itself but a few of the higher-ups backstage in the fed were worried that when you have sort of seven six seven eight even nine guys in the ring at once um that it would kind of show Taz up a little bit and he would look too small surrounded by a bunch of other WWF guys uh, that they have on the roster. To me, that doesn't bode too well for his long term prospects in the WWF. Feels like his height may hold him back a little bit. But um, then again, they gave him a really convincing win. So if they had loads of reservations, then maybe that would stop you booking this, but Eric, what, what do you make of sort of like the rumors about sort of the chopping and changing of Taz's debut? And how do you think, I mean, we've, we've sort of given our opinion of this segment, but it's definitely preferable to having him in a rumble match. Well, debuting somebody in the rumble,
3: unless they're going to have either the diesel spot or the victory spot, I don't think really does much good because you technically lose in your first match. Um, I guess I concept, I mean, Taz is small, but he's thick. I mean, he's he's built like a beer keg, so he might be physically shorter than some of these guys, but his neck is thicker than a lot of their thighs. Um, and he's stout. He's in probably the best shape he's ever been in, uh, I would imagine, And despite all of his injuries. Uh, I, I also think it's just kind of dirt cheap bullshit I, to me. Why, if you don't think somebody's cut out to be in the Royal Rumble match, which this year heavily featured Kai and Tai in the Mean Street Posse, why would you put him over in an effect, effectively in a squash match against a guy that I guarantee they have world title ambitions for? It doesn't make any sense.
2: Billy, uh, what do you make of these rumors? Uh, I think like uh, Eric said, it's a lot of uh, uh, dirt sheet bullshit, basically. Um, uh, I would not have put Taz in the Rumble because he would have got well, his big debut would have got lost in the shuffle more than anything. It would have been, like, forgotten after 90 seconds. And this way, at least you sort of showcasing him for four minutes against a good uh, mid-card hand in Kurt Angle, who's got the... who had the undefeated streak. Still has it. Um, but... With Ta- I, I can't see how they wouldn't want to put him in the rumble because he's too short. Uh, they had... Crash Ollie in there for Christ's sake, you know? <laughs> Not that I'm saying that Taz is uh, Crash Ollie. I just, I just, I don't kind of believe that one.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, you could have put him in what ended up being Rikishi's spot this year, like with I don't know seven eliminations, like spoiler for later. But um, this does him so much more good than putting him in that spot would have done. And then him inevitably being eliminated because he's not going to win the thing. And you like, I don't have any worries about his size. Like obviously with, with some exceptions, I'm pretty sure he could suplex the vast majority of the roster. Like, like an, an absolute machine, like, and it would look awesome with pretty much any of them. Maybe there's one or two guys. He might not look great doing it to, um but i don't that, that probably says more about them than it does him like I, I don't really have any worries about taz being held back because of his height like they've put him over huge against and i think you're right to say a guy they've got uh world title ambitions for uh in kurt angle and they've basically beat him in three minutes clean as a whistle like yeah i would uh i would chalk that one up to as you both said dirt sheep bullshit Moving on next up we have the tag team table match between the Hardys and the Dudleys so the way to win this match to put both guys of the other team through tables so no pinfalls submissions countouts or disqualifications The Hardys and Terry interviewed backstage by Michael Cole um, we saw some highlights of the Dudleys putting the Hardys through a table on Raw and the Hardys getting their revenge on Smackdown. Terry said that they were ready to tear the roof off Madison Square Garden. And Matt said that the Dudleys are masters of putting people through tables. But the Hardys will put the Dudleys through tables tonight or they were willing to die trying. Um, the Hardys were out first making their entrance. Sorry, the Dudleys were out first. And then the Hardys made their entrance to a big pop and the Dudleys met them in the aisle to start the match brawling. They eventually brawled into the ring and Bubba hit a full Nelson slam on Jeff. The Dudley set up a table, threw Jeff into the air near the table, but Matt moved the table to save his brother. Bubba was sent out of the ring, so Jeff hit a dive onto Bubba uh, on the floor. Devon hit a suplex on Matt in the ring before Bubba set up a table on the floor. Jeff smashed Bubba in the head with a chair. And Jeff then ran the barricade, but Bubba shoved the table into Jeff's face. Bubba set, was set up on the table and the Hardys went for a superplex, but Devon moved the table to save Bubba from going through. Matt brought a ladder into the ring and the Hardys knocked down both Dudleys, with uh, Bubba bumping over the top to the floor. Matt with a chair to Bubba's back before hitting a stiff chair shot to Bubba's head on the outside. He put Bubba on the table, climbed the ladder but Devon went for the save. Matt sent Devon off the ladder before hitting a lead drop on Bubba to put him through the table, while Jeff hit a splash at the same time. So Bubba has been put through the table. So he, I don't think he's eliminated per se. like He carried on in the match, but the match continues until both Hardys or now Devon singularly is put through the table. Uh, Matt then crushed Devon with a stiff chair shot to the head while they were outside. The Hardys put Devon on a table that was bridged from the steel steps to the ring apron. Matt jumped off the top, but Devon moved and Matt went through the table. Uh, Jeff then tried a dive to the outside, but Devon again moved and Jeff put himself through the table. But neither Hardy had been eliminated since they were not put through the tables. They just did it to themselves. The Dudleys then set up a table on the ring steps. Bubba picked up Matt and gave him a powerbomb off the top rope to put Matt through the table. So it tied one to one. Uh, they went brawling uh, again uh, <laughs> into the aisle away with Bubba crushing Matt with a chair to the head. The Dudleys stacked up two tables in, on the aisle as uh, Devon kicked Matt in the groin to keep him down. Bubba then uh, compiled the stack to four tables, put Matt on top of one of them. He hit Jeff in the head. And they went up through the crowd into an area near the balcony. Bubba posed on the balcony. But Jeff hit Bubba with a low blow. Following up with two chair shots to the head to put him through the two tables. But uh, Bubba had already been put through a table. So this was not the end of the match. But it was a huge bump. Meanwhile, Matt hit Devon with a chair to the head. Matt set up Devon on a table. Jeff was on the balcony. And Jeff a cent on bomb to put Devon through the table for the win after an absolutely brutal 10 minutes Billy I'll come to you first what did you make of this tables match
2: uh oh god uh well it really did deliver um <laughs> I was uh I'd say my expectations were because I didn't really know what the gimmick was or what they were going for with a tables match because it was it wasn't explained very well they you know there was a point in the match where jeff and matt both went through tables but they sent themselves through but it had to be an offensive move and that wasn't explained in any way whatsoever but i'll forget about that let's, let's not worry about that at this present moment in time uh, because the match was just so good it was uh, a good hardcore match and i haven't seen a good hardcore match in the Fed or WCW, in well, most of 99. So, this is it's good to, to see that we've got this in, in 2000. And I think what it's got them done is it's sort of elevated both the Dudleys and the Hardys. You know, they were obviously very popular uh, in the mid card uh, this time last year, and now they've become. Uh, Dare I say it, they've become stars thanks to this one match. Uh, The only thing that I didn't really like about it was there was a lot of uh, very stiff-looking chair shots to the heads. Probably don't need to keep doing that, lads. You know, you were doing these insane bumps through tables. You probably don't need to go that far and do the crazy chair spots as well. But, no, props to them. I think they've uh, raised their profile uh, in the Fed now.
1: Eric, what did you make of the match?
3: I agree with Billy. With this kind of match, you don't need rules. You don't need psychology. Well, they had some. You don't really need anything but four guys working hard. We were so worried about the Dudleys in the WWF. And I think this match, and kind of once they got their feet wet, shows that the Dudleys are going to make the WWF a better, more entertaining place in the tag team division, and there's nobody on this planet who should be more thankful about that than yourself, Sir Chris White. Um, and, uh, I'm very match, thankful. This was a match, a tag team match, on a pay-per-view that did not involve the tag team titles, and it mattered, and we cared, and the crowd was invested, and the guys worked hard. This means there are at least three teams in the WWF tag team division, which is three more than we had about a year and a half ago. I don't care about psychology in a match like this. It was great, and I think it shows that the Dudleys have brought something to the table. I think Bubba was able to come out and cut in a, you know, an appropriately uh, heat-gathering but relatively family-friendly promo at the beginning of the match compared to what the more visceral things we've seen him do in ECW – so that's coming along nicely. They seem to be getting rid of the stuttering thing. If that's not already completely gone, that's a good thing. And the Dudleys have shown themselves to be kind of the sneaky-like MVPs of this tag division in the last couple of months because they can work with any style of team. They've been doing it in ECW for five years. They've cut their teeth. They know what to do with small teams. They know what to do with big teams. They can kick ass. They can get their asses kicked. They can get heat. They can you know get heat against them too if they need to i just think that this match was so good and it shows how great the dudleys are and i haven't even mentioned the hardys this was just awesome if we had an award for like mid card match of the year this would probably be on it at the end of the year i don't see much beating it
1: yeah i I mean i completely agree like we had the hardys really arrived with that ladder match um with with and christian at no mercy but like this just takes it up a gear again. I'm not saying this is necessarily about the match. I haven't really put any fault into comparing the two, um, just enjoying them. And I think still living in this like fantasy land of the WWF tag division, not being completely shit. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a really violent, brutal match loads of broken tables, chairs to the head and a really, really into it crowd. Um, It is just a hardcore spot fest, but I think the key distinction, really, and what separates the hardcore style of the teams like the Harleys and the Dudleys from, like, that mid-card, hardcore WWF, uh, sorry, the hardcore title and that, like, mid-card WWF style is the just relentless and intense pacing. It's not like a plodding, slow, walking brawl. It's just, like, high-energy, high-impact, all-go. For the entire match, and it's innovative as well. And I think when you add Edge and Christian to the fold, and you've got the Hardys now, you've got the Dudleys. Like those three teams, that's just like the foundations of an exceptional tag division. And none of them have had a look in with the tag titles yet. And I think we've got a lot to look forward to across the next year, two years, as long as these teams can go. And I mean you wouldn't break a team like the Dudleys up. They're worth so much more than as a as a pairing as, than they could be as singles guys. And and same for the Hardys. Um whether that can also be said for Edge and Christian, that remains to be seen. But certainly you've got these two teams that you could probably put a different kind of stiff match between them on pretty much every pay-per-view this year. And I'd probably enjoy them all and wouldn't get bored. Like they're they're just innovative, young, hungry fantastic matches and i can't believe i'm saying this but because it's just been anything but the case recently but what an exceptional start to the show moving on uh and uh let's see if we can keep the trend of exceptional things on this show going we have the miss rumble 2000 swimsuit contest <laughs> i'm going to keep this as short as possible because i I just can't anymore. Like, I'm, no. I'm done with this kind of stuff. So we've got some judges, Sergeant Slaughter, Tony Guerrero, Fabulous Moolah, Johnny Valiant, Freddie Blassie, and uh, our participants, Ivory, Jackie, Terry, Luna, Cat, and BB. Um, Ivory, Luna doing the reluctant participants gimmick, which, of course, makes them heels because they don't want to be basically nude. Um, Andy Richler is added as another judge, as a surprise extra judge. Uh, so they each disrobe, they parade around until eventually May Young comes out as a late surprise entrant. She exposes herself, and I'm pretty sure a couple of times the big red censored sign isn't quite fast enough to cover everything up. May is then declared the unanimous winner by the judges, and I'm moving on with my life as quickly as possible. Uh, Eric, what did you make of this? Uh, we came crashing back down to earth in a very painful way. Uh,
3: I don't know. Um, it it tells you a lot about a segment when you have a bunch of naked women and Freddie Blassie still gets the biggest ovation as to whether the segment belongs on pay per view. This is just unbelievably. After they did a fucking pool party match with nudity and just a month ago this is somehow once over again the worst thing i've ever seen on a pro wrestling show i think i mean i I can't think of anything more just exploitative and offensive and disgusting and and just it's just awful i don't have anything more to say
1: billy anything from you on this this garbage (laughs) Oh,
2: my God. Well, I'm sure if you were aged between 14 and 18, you probably loved about four minutes of this segment. But why? After doing what they did last month, I'm sure someone in the back from Stanford Connecticut thought it would be funny to have an old lady expose herself on pay-per-view. What the fuck were they thinking? That's that's all I'm going to say.
1: Yeah, I think uh, we should do ourselves a favour and move on from this as quickly as possible, but it has to be noted that this was quite a big blemish on what had otherwise been a very, very, very good start to the pay-per-view. Moving on, we have the triple threat match to determine the undisputed Intercontinental Champion uh, with Chris Jericho defending, China defending, and the third participant, Hardcore Holly. Uh, We're underway and Holly goes after Jericho. So Jericho hits a hip toss and all three become uh, engage in sort of a slap war. Uh, Holly whips China into the corner. So China bumps over the top to the floor. Holly hits a drop kick on Jericho before they battle a bit. And Jericho ends up getting the walls of Jericho on. China comes back in, hits a clothesline to the back of Jericho to break, break the hold. She hits another clothesline that sends Holly over the top to the floor and follows it with a baseball slide drop kick. Jericho hits a springboard dive uh, to Holly, on to Holly who is on the floor. Uh, back inside the ring, um, China she uh, hits a handspring, elbow and a DDT, which gets two after Holly makes a save. Holly dumps China out of the ring, whipping Jericho into the ropes, and Jericho also bumps over the top to the floor. Uh, due to the fact China pulled down the top ropes, uh, China climbs onto the apron, but Holly punches her off. Holly gets a, st- a steel chair, Jericho takes the chair from him, and China drop kicks uh, the chair into Holly's face. China then uh, hits a sloppy looking pedigree on Hardcore Holly for two, before Holly gets back up and puts China in his shoulders before Jericho hits a crossbody block uh, off the top for two. Holly then hits a boot to the face of Jericho. Uh, here Jericho work up top, or uh, China trips both guys up and crotch them both, and that leads to China hitting a super, superplex, but Holly turns it into a cover for two. Holly gets some punches on Jericho, but China grabs a steel chair, hits Holly in the head. China gets a Boston Crab on uh, Hardcore Holly, but Jericho gets back into it with a bulldog on China. He follows this up with the lion's salt get to the cover, one, two, three. Chris Jericho is the undisputed Intercontinental Champion. Uh, Billy, what did you make of our Triple Threat match, and uh, how do you feel about Jericho sort of moving away from this program with China to become the undisputed
2: champ? First of all, some great match commentary there, Chris, because you made that match sound a lot more exciting than it actually was.
3: No, I I was going back, yeah, my notes, I was going through my notes too, I was thinking, what match is this?
2: I I, I don't know, guys. I I just found it to be a bit dull. Um, The crowd certainly didn't seem to be into it. Uh, I understand that on shows, you know, you've got to bring a crowd down before you pick them back up again with the two big matches that are going to be coming up. But it's just there was really nothing to this match. It's. No one believed that Hardcore Holly was, A, going to win the Intercontinental title. Uh, So they sort of knew it was going to be down between China and Jericho. And like I said, I just got very bored during it and I switched off. Maybe it was the fact that I didn't really enjoy the storyline building up to it that made me think, yeah, I'm not really going to pay much attention to this match. But I tried to pay attention to it, but it just really was quite boring.
1: Eric, what did you make
3: of it all? It's too bad because the the China Jericho stuff before and after the bell rings was pretty entertaining, like we talked about. But yeah, this match was this match struggled a lot. Uh, China is not a good wrestler, and she's in there with two guys and 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 Bob Holly and Chris Jericho who can go and who probably are used to working a match at a certain pace with a certain level of freedom and a certain level of improvis- improvisation. And, you know, two guys with, what, eight to ten years under their belt at this point each. And then you've got China, who, for all of her positives, positive contributions, in-ring work is not one of them. And she was clearly the anchor uh, to this match. There were a lot of mistakes, a lot of like, kind of blown and iffy spots. Uh, the, the match had some interesting moments, um, but the finish was was truly horrible. Uh, not horrible in... in in, in thought, but horrible in execution. Um, yeah, disappointing match. I think I think it will be good for Chris Jericho to split it off. Hopefully he does. I could see Chris Jericho and Hardcore Holly having a, a decent match, maybe a television feud, and again, just a litany of new opponents for Jericho to hold down that mid card coming in. So, got to pivot China off this. She's gotten a little bit of a rub, I guess. Get her doing something else that doesn't involve you know, eight to 10 minutes of in-ring work. Cause that's not where she flourishes.
1: Yeah, it's tough. Um, I don't really know where you go with China from here. Um, it's pretty obvious where you go with Jericho. He's got a lot of people he can work with, and I'm sure we'll be seeing some really good Chris Jericho matches on pay-per-view and hopefully some good Chris Jericho TV work as well. And a few promos, he's got a lot of new stuff, new people to work with. And it'd be interesting to see who he works with and, uh, how soon they get to some big matches they've now got um, in the bank and uh, how quickly they burn through them and stuff but yeah there's a lot of programs he can work I think this is good for him and good for the title um, it's hard to know what you do with China I, I don't feel like I mean I wouldn't call it the, an experiment with China because that, that seems too harsh but I wonder what the motivation is to keep this push, this singles push in with the guys going. And I wonder how much longer it will be there for Um, because I said last month, I felt a little underwhelmed by her in ring work. And I think this um, pretty much uh, followed that pattern. um, It'd be fair to say, I don't think it was a bad match. I think it was, mediocre it was pretty inoffensive it was sloppy in places but i mean they they tried hard enough it was it was fine and inoffensive if that's praise enough then like that's not really what you want from pay-per-view but um it was it was fine i guess but i think having jericho pin china felt like pretty definitive in terms of their story as a as a as whether it be rivals or co-champions or whatever it be. That's quite a definitive ending. He pinned her one, two, three in the middle of the ring. And, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where they both go from here because I think they'll obviously be going separate ways and I think Jericho's on the up and China may be on the come down at this stage. Next up, we have the match for the WWF tag team titles as we have the new age outlaws defending against the acolytes. Uh, we're underway. Bradshaw hits a fallaway slam on Billy Gunn, uh, following it with a kick to, uh, roadie in the head, uh, to knock him down. Fruit tags in. He hits a power slam on road dog before, uh, he goes for another and, but Billy Gunn makes a save. Uh, fruit, uh, hits a double clothesline on both outlaws. Roddy comes back with his punch combo on Farouk. So Bradshaw pulls Dog down by the hair. Billy misses a corner splash on Bradshaw. So uh, Bradshaw comes back, hits a clothesline from hell on Billy Gunn. Farouk hits a spine buster on Roddy before Billy pulls referee Tim White out of the ring where he was counting. Bradshaw punches Gunn into the ref, Tim White. So the ref is down. We have a ref bump after about 90 seconds. Bradshaw on Farouk. Hit a double-team powerbomb on Road Dog, but there's no referee to count. X-Pac runs in. He hits a spinning heel kick on Bradshaw. Farouk hits a spinebuster on X-Pac for his troubles. Billy hits a Famouser on Bradshaw and pins him, uh, uh, gets the three, and Road Dog's holding the leg of Farouk to prevent him from making the save. The Outlaws retain their titles before the three-minute mark, so feel like they had quite a lot of time cut from this match, less than three minutes, and the Outlaws retain. Eric, what did you make of it?
3: I made that this match had a bunch of time shaved off it right before the guys came through the curtain. <laughs> there's, no, there's no way this tag team title match, the Royal Rumble, between two teams in the Outlaws and in the Acolytes, who have gotten a pretty significant push and have been mixing in with the main event seen on Raw and SmackDown lately, are going to go two and a half minutes I mean, you say three minutes, but it's closer to two and a half. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like, I'm glad we got the Miss Royal Rumble competition in full, and we got a less than three-minute tag title match at the Royal Rumble. Great job. This match wasn't long enough to be anything. It was completely inoffensive, and it deserved to be halfway through the first hour of Raw.
2: Billy, uh, over to you. I'm pretty much going to make the same points as Eric. It was. It's too short to be uh, offensive or anything like that. It's just they breezed through it. Um, clearly, like you guys were saying, you know, they were trying to shave time off to give time to the main event and uh, the world title match. And it's a shame because, I, you know, I felt like the Acolytes have been getting over on TV as of late. Um, and they probably deserved better. This was nothing more than... Uh, A quick raw match and I wish they would have got a bit more time and maybe we don't have the silliness with Mae Young
1: (laughs) yeah it's incredibly frustrating that you have the uh, swimsuit contest which is just like as bad as stuff gets on a pay per view and then you have the tag title match have to go two and a half minutes because you've got an hour Royal Rumble match and you want a WWF title match that all in video packages and entrances included probably goes, what, 40 minutes. Like when you total that up and you, you have to do this to take title match diminishes the show in a, in a big way. And it's such a shame because it's entirely self-inflicted. Like there's no extenuating circumstances that have caused this. It's just that you've put some nonsense on your show and now one of your matches has basically been ruined. Um, It's such a detriment to the overall uh, worth of the show, but I do think there's um, enough positives throughout that it doesn't uh, entirely uh, undercut um, how good I think this show is. But it just uh, shows that having segments like that swimsuit contest isn't just bad because it is bad in itself and inherently not entertaining and unfunny and just not good television, whether it is television or pay-per-view, but it's also bad because it can undercut and ruin and screw up stuff, which otherwise could have been good elsewhere on your show because you've dedicated time to nonsense like that. So, Uh, frustrating um, is how this match made me feel because it deserved to go a bit longer than this. And I would have liked to have seen it go longer. Let's hope we can turn the corner as next up, we have the WWF championship match with Triple H defending his title against Cactus Jack in a street fight. Um, Cactus Jack is introduced first and he gets a huge pop. He's wearing his usual Cactus Jack attire, um with his wanted shirt uh, black pants and snakeskin boots triple h comes up next he has stephanie mcmahon with him he's in black shorts with knee pads and black boots he also has a big white bandage on his left leg he gives howard finkel a black bag telling him to hold it for him and he sends steph away before the match begins after a stare down cactus gets aside with some punches to the head hunter bells to the outside and cactus catches him with a neck breaker on the floor Hunter tries to climb back in, but he's hit with a leg drop to the back of the head. Cactus nails him with the ring steps, followed by the ring bell. Back inside the ring, Hunter has got a chair, and Cactus charges at him, only to get hit in the head with an absolutely brutal chair shot. Hunter stalls a bit, so Cactus takes him down, drops a leg on his face, that is covered by the chair, and we get our first two-count of the match. Back outside, Cactus backdrops Triple H over the railing, sending him into the crowd. They brawl through the crowd making their way over to the entrance. Cactus stacks two wooden pallets and suplexes Triple H onto them. Trash can to the head by Cactus followed by some head slamming into a door. Hunter reverses a move into a back suplex that makes Cactus land with his back of his head on the trash can. Mm-hmm. Hunter's leg is absolutely bleeding like crazy. Close line by Triple H but Jack recovers to whip him headfirst into some steps. And that's followed by a patented patented running knee by Cactus, this time on the steel steps. Cactus rolls Hunter back in and finds a barbed wire 2x4 under the ring, which gets a huge pop from the crowd. But Triple H comes back with a low blow. He takes control of the match, but eventually wastes too much time. This gives Cactus a chance to capitalise and he hits the 2x4 into Hunter's nuts. Cactus nails Hunter with a double arm DDT, which again gets two. Hunter runs into uh, Hebner and Jack nails him in the face with a two by four to an absolutely huge pop. Cactus nails an elbow drop with the two by four in hand while the camera closes in on Hunter's bloody face. That was an absolutely awful awesome shot. Cactus covers, but again this gets two. The crowd really thought that was it. Cactus then grinds the barbed wire bat in, uh, well, not sorry, bat, but the 2x4 in Hunter's face and clears off the announce table. He's looking for a pile driver, but Triple H reverses it into a backdrop through the table. Back inside the ring, Hunter looks for a pedigree that Cactus reverses into a slingshot, to the turnbuckle. Hunter bounces off, which leads to a face buster, into the barbed wire for two. We're back outside and Cactus charges at Hunter, but Hunter gets a hip toss. Cactus goes leg first into the steps. Hunter throws him into the ring steps knee first and Cactus takes a bump over the steps, landing uh, on his back right in front of the announce table. Hunter gets the bag he gave Finkel at the start of the match and we discover that there are handcuffs in there in a nice little throwback to the previous year's Rumble where Mick Foley, as we all remember, took 12 disgusting chair shots to the head after being handcuffed by The Rock. Uh, Hunter tries to handcuff him but is knocked down uh, but Hunter carries on persisting, goes back to the bad knee of uh, Jack with a kick and then manages to get the handcuffs on. Hunter brings in the ring steps, but Cactus reverses the charge with a drop toe hole that leads to Hunter going face first into the steps. Jack gets a boot to the face and a head low blow, and after some biting, Triple H is able to get control with a clothesline. A chair to the gut bends Cactus over and these are followed up by two shots to the back that sends him rolling to the outside. Near the entryway, Triple H gets a good shot with the chair to the head. As Hunter's winding up for another swing, the rock emerges from the entrance and hits Hunter in the head with a chair, which gets a huge ovation from the crowd. This is followed by someone, a cop I think, coming out uh, from backstage to unlock the handcuffs, freeing Cactus Jack. Cactus gets a second wind, throwing Hunter into the Spanish announce table. Nails him with a pile driver, but the table does not break. Jack rolls him in the ring and grabs a bag uh, from under the ring, which contains hundreds of funtax. He skitters them in the corner of the ring. This brings out Stephanie. Uh, after some punches, uh, Hunter standing right in front of the tax. Like an idiot, uh, again, because we'd seen this earlier in the match, Cactus just charges straight at him and gets backdrop straight into the tax. Cactus rolls around for added effect and a disgusting visual as he lays in the tax. Hunter hits him with a kick and a pedigree, which gets 2.9. Uh, this time, Hunter picks him up. He gets another pedigree, with Jack landing face first in the thumbtacks. Hunter rolls him over into the cover, and this time we get the free count. Triple H has retained the WWF title after around 27 minutes of brutal action. Billy, I'll uh, come to you first. What did you make of that title match?
2: (laughs) Well, I've uh, never seen a match like that in the World Wrestling Federation before. And um, hopefully I don't ever see one like it again because this was so bloody good. Um, Obviously... A lot of people have their opinions on uh, these sort of matches. It's not everyone's cup of tea, you know. I can understand that. But for me, personally, this is what I love about pro wrestling. It had everything. It had drama. It had blood. It had some sickening bumps. It had horrendous storytelling. And some of the most unbelievable spots I thought I'd never see in a WWF ring. This was definitely, for me, personally, Hunter's finest hour as a performer in the World Wrestling Federation. Probably his best match to date in the Fed because he made Cactus Jack look like a killer and he showed a lot of weakness whilst getting beaten up by Cactus Jack and everything that played out, it was just... (laughs) so good I, I find it hard to to like describe how good this match really is you have to see it to believe it it's unreal stuff um a lot of people like austin rock uh, austin bret hart as one of their favorite wwf matches for me this is up there as one of the best wwf title matches ever Eric, over to you.
3: Yeah, this thing was intense, man. And so much attention to detail. Sending Steph to the back at the beginning. Cactus Jack kicking out of the pedigree, which has been super protected. Uh, just the all the blood and the violence, and it, it all had its place. I've been super critical of matches like this at times because a lot of times you have a match that needs blood or you have you know blood in a match and and those are different and blood in a match for the sake of having blood is not needed and it it cheapens it and then when you have a situation like this where it's just clear this is going to be a combat zone for the next 30 minutes really (laughs) good stuff and it was i mean it looked like it it looked like a, a warehouse in there it didn't look like a wrestling ring but it, it wasn't distracting. It was never a situation where they took it too far. They just they escalated the violence until one person beat the other person. I mean, it was you know, we're just gonna keep escalating this until one of us cannot continue. And I I didn't think the outcome was ever really in dispute. I didn't think that with the way that they've been building Triple H that they would have him drop the belt so quickly to Foley here. Um, but they like Billy said. Perfectly, they made Fully look like an absolute killer here in defeat, and I think this is one of those first times that we've seen over the last year and a half when they've been trying so hard, where I really feel like Triple H is okay. You're kind of a top guy now. I mean, look, look what you did. Look what you put your body through. Look what type of match you won, and you know Triple H did not take any shortcuts here. He he put himself through it. He put himself in the tacks. He he took these bumps, and he went toe to toe with with Cactus Jack. Yeah, I think if 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 we look back at at the end of this, you know, up through WrestleMania, maybe even to the end of the year, I would suspect we're going to be citing this match as as some sort of turning point in the WWF. I don't know how I don't know what, but I think it makes Triple H more credible. I think it, you know, is, it firmly entrenches fully as a top guy for as long as he wants to kick around. And I think it makes the style of match when done appropriately and when done once every six months or a year special. And this was great. And I have nothing really bad to say about this match other than I hope it just doesn't become the norm because then it will lose its effectiveness. But for this, for this show at this spot between these two guys, unbelievable.
1: Yeah, this was a incredible match. Um, Definitely for me, uh, Quite possibly the best Triple H match I've ever seen um, It had everything um, The heat Good psychology, high work rate uh, Two guys that Just sacrificed their bodies For the sake of the match And two guys that were in there And it felt like they both did a wonderful job Of making the other guy look Amazing um, I mean, by the end of the match, Triple H was bleeding profusely from one of his legs. He had blood all over his face. Cactus Jack was covered in tacks, tacks hanging out of his face. But I don't think either of them would have complained. It it felt special. Um, And, yeah, I I couldn't have higher praise for this match. It, It had an amazing story, mixed in with all the violence. You had the throwbacks the last year with the cuffs, and then... The symbolic nature of The Rock coming out um, and uh, helping uh, save uh, Cactus Jack from the, the cuffs when last year at the Rumble it was him with the cuffs and just both guys did everything um, they possibly could to make this something special. And I, I think it, it honestly is one of the best, one of the best, not, it's too hard to say, what I would deem the best, but it is one of the best, WWF matches I've seen, doing this project, Um, it would have been for me, better than any WWF match, last year, if this was, last year it would have walked, the match of the year category, if it was, if we were doing it just for the WWF, Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what else to say about it, but this was brilliant and you absolutely must go out of your way to watch this match because um, it, it just had everything. It had everything that was good about professional wrestling and uh, yeah, just sensational. But I I do agree with you, Eric, like this doesn't need to be the norm and it it will diminish. You have diminishing returns the the more often you do, a match like this, the, the less the impact will be. But, um, on this night for this one show, just, I, I would go as far to say, and I'd drop the, uh, P word for the second time. And I, I think this was, this was perfect. Just genuinely brilliant. Post match. We have triple H being taken to the back on a stretcher. Uh, cactus gets up. Uh, he chases him down, takes him off the stretcher, takes him back to the ring and beats him up some more with a barbed wire bat hit a shot to the face. The crowd was still going absolutely nuts throughout this post-match beatdown. Um, and Foley, uh, Cactus Jacks already stood tall and posed for the crowd who are going absolutely nuts. Um, as I said, and, uh, it very much looks like that. The, the feud between these two men will continue. And I mean, we've got a, uh, one more pay-per-view before we get to WrestleMania and, uh, yeah i think we know what the uh, main event of that show will be moving on now and it is time for the royal rumble match um i will pause every i think I've, in my notes i've got a little gap every 10 entrants just so we can comment on the match in sort of manageable chunks rather than one hour long mm. uh, <laughs> review um so we are underway, and the number one entry is D'Lo Brown, and number two, we have Grandmaster Sexy. Sexy hits a hurricanrana and a dropkick to the back before uh, Brown's able to avoid elimination uh, by holding on for dear life. And we have Headbanger Mosh at number three. Uh, all of a sudden, Takamichi no and Funaki of Kai and Tai, uh, they... Um, <laughs> run in they just run into the match even though they're not in it it's explicitly stated on commentary they're not in the match they're not official entrance but they run in uh Funaki and Taka quickly get thrown out uh Mush gets hit with the low down by dilo and uh grandmaster hits a bulldog on him too for good measure then we have christian come out at number four and eventually a huge pop for number five rikishi he throws out both Mosh and Christian before D'Lo hits a neckbreaker on him and a leg, leg drop. But Rikishi pops up. He hits D'Lo with the Rikishi Driver and throws him out the ring too. So that's free for Rikishi. The sixth man is the other two two cool member, Scotty Two Hotty. A crowd pops huge as him and Rikishi start dancing. Um, and well, the three of them start dancing, I should say. Uh, this continues until Rikishi clotheslines both guys sending them out of the ring at the same time. Steve Blackman is number seven and Rikishi hits him with a Rikishi driver, throwing Blackman out as he awaits the next person. And we have Viscera at number eight. There's a huge reaction to Viscera hitting a belly-to-belly suplex on Rikishi, a sentence I can't believe I've just said. Vissera Mr. misses a splash, so Rikishi super kicks him a few times. He hits a shoulder block and throws him out to eliminate him too. So Rikishi has eliminated the first seven guys in the match. We have the big boss man at number nine, and he's reluctant to get in the ring. He stalls and stays on the outside the whole time until it's time for our 10th entrant test. He jumps boss man on the outside. Boss man tries a pile driver but test, backdrops out of him test chokes him with his shirt and rolls boss man into the ring test tries to choke rikishi in the corner uh, with a big boot but boss man goes low on him rikishi immediately then retaliates and hits a low blow on the big boss man um eric i'll come to you first what did you make of our first third of the match well not necessarily in time but in entrance
3: i mean it it, it was fine i I think the Rikishi spot was obviously the highlight. And then for me, uh, I think the Royal Rumble is a perfect opportunity to have 30, 45 second segments between opponents that you want to see clash. But, you know, the match would be horrible. See Mabel versus Yokozuna, for example. Give me that in a Rumble. Don't give it to me on a pay-per-view. So this was an excellent showcase uh, for the battle of the beef between Viscera. And um, (laughs) there he is. He keeps turning up. Good on you, Nelson. Uh, and, And this time, Rikishi. Uh, so, and then the two cool spot, that'll be replayed over and over again. I think that was kind of funny. I think it might be a little early to break them up. So I think they might just pivot off that. And it seems like that we're doing, hey, Royal Rumble, every man for themselves, but a perfectly harmless, entertaining, if ultimately, I guess, meaningless to the rest of the match. First
1: 10 entrance. Yeah. Billy, what did you make of our opening third?
2: Pretty much what Eric said. It was a pretty entertaining, um, and obviously you got the big dance routine in the middle of all of this. Uh, that, that was all, all very entertaining. Um, I can't say anything really stood out apart from the, the dance routine. Um, no, they It was pretty much perfectly fine with the, at this point of the match.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's about what you get from a Rumble when you don't have main event guys um, in the ring early. And I think... They do deserve some credit for whether it's with a dance spot or not. They made the first 10 entrants, which on paper you probably look at and would sort of shrug off. It was an entertaining watch, and I think it was probably quite important to follow the, the uh, street fight title match with maybe something lighthearted at the start of the Rumble when you sort of build to the crescendo of the main event guys toward the end. It would have been too much um, if you follow that all told, probably 35, 40 minute like, video package to post-match angle with uh, Jack and Hunter, then it would have been too much to go straight into The Rock. You need you need a bit of breathing room, and I think having the two called Dancing and Rikishi running riot, it, it worked really well Was that sort of buffer between between matches, but being the entertaining portion of the Rumble to watch. So, yeah, I was, I was pretty happy uh, with the first 10 entrants or so. At number 11, we have the British Bulldog. He hits Rikishi low, which seems to be a really popular move in this match. In at 12, we have Gangrel, but then we also have Sai running in again. Tess throws Funaki out right away, and Taka takes an absolutely horrible bump uh, to be thrown <laughs> out too. They show this replay, I, I probably won't mention it every time, but I did make a note of it pretty much every time they show it. I think it was five times Throughout the match, just on repeat. But so Taka takes this bump; he just lands right on his face, like just he goes over the top, flying over the top rope, and just lands straight on his face. Um, he did pop up right away, but I mean the replay looked absolutely hideous.
3: We can have, we uh can we talk about Jerry Lawler being a xenophobic dick <laughs> now, or should we wait until the the recap? Uh, go for it now, if you if you'd like. Just. Jerry Lawler asks for the replay for this about six times over the match, and he keeps saying something along the lines of, Hey, JR, can we see that Chinese guy get his face bashed in again? And uh, it's just, um,
1: you know, it's distracting. It's just distracting. Yeah, yeah you uh, you definitely don't need um, stuff like that. Uh, I don't need, at the very least, stuff like that on my uh, wrestling pay-per-view. But, uh Yeah. At uh, 13, we have Edge, who comes out to a reasonably large babyface pop. He avoids elimination from the Bulldog and goes after his former buddy Gangrel. Rikishi uh, goes after the boss man, and we have a surprise entrant at number 14, as it's Bob Backlund. Uh, he gets a massive pop. Uh, Rikishi misses a splash in the corner, and all six guys then gang up him, gang up on him, and throw him out. Then at 15, we have Chris Jericho, who quickly dropkicks Backland out of the match. At 16, we've got Crash Holly, and at 17, is China. She charges in, and Jericho nearly eliminates her, but she suplexes Jericho out. And then Bossman elbows China out of the ring. We have Farouk at 18, and then suddenly, the Mean Street Posse run in. They attack Farouk. Bossman takes advantage of that and throws Farouk out uh, uh, to eliminate him. We have the Road Dog in at 19. <laughs> before Crash avoids elimination from Boss Man. Uh, and then we have Al Snow at 20, before Road Dog eliminates the Bulldog, and we're left with seven men in the ring after 20 entrants. Uh, what did you make of the uh, mid-portion of the match, Billy? Um,
2: apart from the tackle bump, um, <laughs> which... <laughs> I'm sure the great Sasuke would be very proud of Tucker taking that on his face. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
2: and the appearance by Bob Backland. Um, I, I got a little bit bored in places, but you've got to expect that with a rumble, really. You know, they've got to bring you down before they do the, the last 10 entrants. So, yeah, I'm, like I said, I just got a little bit bored.
1: Yeah, a bit of a lull. Eric, what would you make of it?
3: Yeah, I think that the Royal Rumble match is still even though the Fed's pretty much you know closed the door on the on the fact uh, on it being a competitive equal with WCW. I still think it's relative shallow roster reflects when you have a match where you're required to call in 30 participants and you can't have some of your top guys and they they're dealing with some injuries right now too. And you're not going to have your four new big signings for a couple of weeks and you don't want to put them in a rumble, and you don't want to put Taz in a rumble, and you don't want to put Angle in a rumble, and all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at 25 guys that make up the B-run on a house show loop, and The Rock and the Big Show, and so I think, yeah, I think that's exposed here a little bit, uh, but it was good. I think Bob Backlund coming out was just enough of a pick-me-up to get us through this, this middle point, but yeah, this really was a low point of the rumble, and it, it kind of, looking back on it and reviewing it in these chunks, I think it did it actually did some damage to the the effectiveness of it because it just this rumble match, it was kind of comprised of two opening segments and then it never really had anything to kick it into high gear. And by the
1: rock by the time the rock came out, it was kinda of like, Okay, let's get this shit going. We have Valvinus out at twenty one, and here comes Funaki by himself. He gets quickly thrown out. Again, not an entrant. Uh, JR tells us that Tack has been taken to the hospital. We have Prince Albert at twenty two. Meanwhile, Edge is eliminated by Al Snow and Val Venus. Hardcore Holly's in at 23, and there are nine guys in the ring right now. Uh, And really, you would say none of them have any major threat, or any threat really at all, any chance of winning uh, the Royal Rumble match. Until number 24, The Rock. He throws out the big boss man. Uh, Billy Gunn is 25, and he goes right after Rocky. Crash rips... uh, Crash then goes for the Rock, but uh, Rock DDTs him and throws him out of the ring. At 26, we have The Big Show, who, at this stage, is Lawler's official pick to win the match. show eliminates Test and Gangrel before a huge hip toss uh, by The Big Show on Rock and a press slam on Hardcore Holly. Bradshaw is in at 27, and it's the Mean Street Posse again. They go after Bradshaw, but he throws all three of them out, but The Outlaw's... Team up and throw Bradshaw out of the match together. We have Kane at 28, quickly eliminating Val Venus with a chokeslam. Rocky hits a big clothesline on Holly. Show does a press slam to Billy Gunn, and here's the Godfather at 29. Kane eliminates Albert, and there's Funaki again, but Big Show quick makes quick work of him and throws him out. The last man at number 30, we have X-Pac. It's elimination time now with everyone in the ring as Big Show. Uh, not Big Show, sorry. Al Snow, close lines, Holly out. There are eight guys left. The Big Show then eliminates the Godfather with a clothesline line over the top. Rocky hits the Samoan drop on Al Snow before tossing him out. And Billy eliminates his partner Road Dog, before Kane eliminates Billy Gunn with an uppercut. We're down to our final four men with Big Show, Kane, X-Pac, and The Rock. The Outlaws pull Kane out of the ring so they can beat. Uh, They can beat on him before X-Pac misses a spinning heel kick. So The Rock grabs him by the head and whips him over the top to the floor. The refs never saw X-Pac's elimination because they were busy with the Outlaws and Kane. So he sneakily slides back in. X-Pac hits a spinning heel kick on The Rock and uh, the two big guys, Kane and Big Show, go at it in the ring. With Kane hitting an impressive enziguri on The Big Show. X-Pack hits a spinning heel kick to eliminate Kane and an X-Pack with a Bronco buster on the Big Show. Show comes back and press slams X-Pack to the floor, so we are down to two. Rock hits a spine buster on the Big Show, following it with the people's elbow to a ridiculously huge pop. Rocky tries to throw him out, but Big Show comes back with a chokeslam. Uh, show puts him on his shoulder and walks him towards the rope, but the Rock manages to hold on to the top rope and hang on to Wing as the Big Show goes stumbling over the top and out of the ring, and the winner of the Royal Rumble match in this year, 2000, is declared to be The Rock. Eric, over to you. What did you make of that finish?
3: I I don't know. I I think this is kind of a predictable finish, which is fine. That's, like, totally great, except they kind of maybe fucked it up. Um, and then... Uh, <laughs> And so now you got the big show uh, still mixed in with the main event. And so this Rumble didn't really accomplish anything, which is too bad because it wasn't that great of a match, but it had a predictable outcome. So let's just get to that outcome and get to Rock versus Triple H at WrestleMania and boom, we're done. The Rumble served its purpose. But like we're not quite there yet uh, after this. And I don't think this match ever really got out of like third gear Um there just wasn't enough talent in it, and I don't think anybody thought that anybody but The Rock and then maybe The Big Show with shenanigans might might come away with this. Like I said before, there just wasn't enough depth in this match to give anybody pause that somebody other than Rock and maybe Big Show might win. Can I guess? Chris, I, you were probably hoping for that. Um, but <laughs> Over The Big Show, yes. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. And I, I'm sorry to report that that's not going to be the case. Um <laughs> So I don't know that this match, although it had the best intentions, really solved anything. And the fact that it wasn't all that exciting of a match to begin with, I think kind of hurts it. I hate to be negative on it, but looking back on it, it was like, ooh, did we really, did we really see a good Rumble match here? And it, even if they tried to give us the right outcome, they didn't really accomplish that either.
2: Billy, what do you make of the match? Well, I suppose they got to where they want to go to, where they had the Rock win, and obviously he's going to go on to face... Triple H at WrestleMania. Well, it's pretty much a, a given now, isn't it? I think this is what is going to happen. But the match itself, it was just, I think like Eric said, it's just that he suffered because there wasn't enough of big names in there, really. You, you look at like the four names that, well, theoretically, three names that could have won this, uh, Big Show, Rock, and Kane. Uh, It's sort of predictable, but at least they get to where they want to go. So I can give it a pass on that. It's just, it wasn't a fun rumble really. It was, it was, it was lacklustre, but it, it wasn't horribly boring. So there is that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think they were in a bit of a tough spot in the sense that the roster's thin, um, And I mean, we can say Kane or Big Show maybe had outside chances, but there was only really one winner you could go with. Um, And I guess it might be in some ways a saving grace that they fucked the finish up a little bit in that you've got to do something um, for the next pay-per-view at the next month and maybe just have... A Rock versus Big Show singles match. Rock wins clean, and then you're done. Like it's not the worst thing, so for Rock to have a match, but I don't expect uh, fireworks out of any potential singles match with the Big Show, to be honest. But yeah, a pretty flat match overall. I think I didn't. I don't think I was as negative on it watching it, but reading it back, I mean. I was pretty much just listing the entrance again. There wasn't too much. There wasn't too much going on. That was uh, that that noteworthy really, and uh, I think they were in a tough spot. In that, yeah, I mean, they got a thin roster and and not many options. Like the Rock, pretty much had to win this match. So that's fine, but it's going to be an hour, and you've got to try and fill that hour getting to the finish and they tried their best. I thought the opening 10 entrance had some entertaining stuff. And like I mentioned earlier, a good contrast with the street fight that came before it, a big lull in the middle and you, you want them to kick it up a gear in the final further match. And it never really happened. And I think it's just because they lack the options. There's no real drama when the outcome's so obvious really. And I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that I would have liked to see some sort of surprise or, was like surprise winner or anyone else win the match apart from Brock, because I don't think predictable is necessarily bad when it's as logical as this. Um, I mean, I probably preferred it to the rumble last year, but that's quite a low bar. Yeah. Uh, probably an underwhelming match overall. Uh, actually, uh, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> what did you think of the finish itself? Like the fact that the, kind of went wrong, like, yeah, they, they fucked up a bit, like, any any thoughts on that? Uh, Eric, I'll come to you first. I, I just don't see why you take the risk.
3: I, I get they were trying for a cool spot, and, like, they've done stuff like this with Shawn Michaels and other kind of smaller guys, but The rock 6'5", and, you know, 250, 275 in the big show, I mean, he, his name's not just ironic, and so he that like, <laughs> seven... You got like 700 pounds careening over this rope that's covered in in tape, and you don't think it's going to give enough to put a six foot five dude's feet on the ground as he's like. I just think it was poorly designed, and I think they were they probably practiced it a bunch, and the Rock was able to get one foot down or not. But I wonder if he was worried about slipping his hands off. And I just think while you're trying to make the Big Show look as credible as possible by still giving the Rock the match, I would not have taken the chance at all. if The Rock's feet. Could have touched the floor in this situation because it's too important. Like they've they've kind of fucked up a couple rock pushes at this point, and now you've got a ready-made opponent in Triple H, and just just get there. And the Big Show can recover because he's the Big Show. Um, don't take this risk in this spot and then have to piece it back together later on. Yeah, Billy, what did you make of the
1: actual finish itself? Like the yeah.
2: <laughs> well. You know, sometimes in wrestling, these things unfortunately happen. Um, You know, like Eric said, they shouldn't have bothered taking the risk, It's, But they they wanted to do the fancy finish, and this is what unfortunately happens. Uh, But you don't need to do all of that. You know, just give us the win, the rock win, because everyone pretty much knows that it's going to be him and Hunter at Mania
1: that's the way they've got to go yeah um it definitely isn't worth the risk and any positive you can get out of it um really doesn't (laughs) outweigh the the potential negative um and they'll they'll get out of it fine i'm sure like i said Next month's pay-per-view will have a Rock versus Big Show match and that will, will be built around any controversy of this finish um, and we'll have like an undisputed number one contender for WrestleMania, which I suppose in itself isn't a terrible way to feel time, but again, like you say, Eric, um, not the strongest of starts to the year for The Rock coming off a botched Rumble finish, really, um, which is a shame, but I think they've got time to turn it around. I don't think it's going to be I don't think it will be the end of the world. I don't think it will be have too much of a negative impact. They, they got something they can fill the next four weeks with, and then hopefully turn away from, and maybe never mention again. And with that, uh, that brings us to the end of our review of the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. So uh, Billy, I'll come to you first for your overall thoughts on the show and a score rating out of 10.
2: Ah, this is going to be a tough one, because there was two potential match of the year contenders on this show, but the rest of it just, I don't know, I, I, I was a bit bored <laughs> for them, but uh, I think maybe this is a bit of a low rating, but I'm going to give it 6 out of 10.
1: Six out of ten from Billy. Eric, what do you make of the thoughts uh, on the show and a score rating out of ten? Well,
3: I, I share Billy's really struggle with how to how to really summarize the show with one no, numerical rating because if you say I've got a, a, a probable match of the year candidate on here, a probable, what I said, the mid-card match of the year on here, a perfect angle to introduce, no pun intended, a new guy, and then – kind of three clunker matches including the namesake of the show and then a probable worst segment of the year contender how do you really rate that well coming off of a year chris where you said we were just scraping for anything to sink our teeth into i think it is fair to kind of appreciate the good stuff on this show because there is uh, kind of a glimmer of hope um so i think based on that the fact that we have a a perfect world title match a perfect segment and and a banger of a of a tables match I think I'm a little bit higher. I think i give the 7 out of 10 warts and all.
1: Yeah, it's tough because there's not many shows where you're going to get a world title match as good as this, um, let alone a match as good as the tables match, let alone a, an introduction and a debut uh, of a new character and a new uh, guy on the roster in a match that overall is as perfect as Taz versus Angle um, and those three positives I think I, they have to outweigh the negatives for me just because just because there's been so little um, and I've, I've got to try and hang on to that and by any by any standard regardless of the qualities of the pay review across the last few months um, those three, three things were exceptional and I think You're lucky to get stuff of that quality. Well, maybe I just feel lucky to get stuff of that quality because of what the Fed have been serving up recently. But ultimately, if you've got a pay-per-view that has six matches on it and two of them are legitimately match of the year contenders, for me, that's a better than average show. Um, But then maybe I knock one off for how bad the women's segment was so i think seven out of ten is fair a seven out of ten for me it would have been an eight if it wasn't for the women's suit contest the rumble match was a bit boring uh obviously they cut the time from the tag title match was just disappointing the triple met triple threat match was fine um but i think when you do have uh a segment that is likely to crop up in the the Wahoo award for the year 2000, then that has to be noted in the overall score. So I think a seven out of 10 is fair. So uh, before we wrap up uh, with the show for the month, there is one uh, last talking point I'd like to get into uh, really in great detail, which comes on the final roar of the month. We had four new arrivals. We saw Chris Benoit, Perry Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, and Dean Malenko. They were spotted sitting in the front row of Raw. Uh, Jim Ross told us that they were definitely not under contract to the WWF. Later in the show, Benoit, Saturn, Guerrero, and Malenko attacked Road Dogg in the ring. And we later learned that Cactus Jack had invited them to the show personally. They then helped Cactus Jack beat Triple H down at the end of the show. And the five of them stood tall. So, Eric, I'll come to you first. I mean, as a collective and also individually, what do you make of the four new acquisitions for the WWF? Like, absolutely huge gets, really, uh, in terms of the mid-card picture for the Fed. This this feels like, a, if not a
3: knockout blow, an uppercut and a standing eight count in the seventh round. Like, especially with Eddie and Benoit... Like, you're getting two guys that are legitimately upper mid-card, can hold down a second or third feud in the company type guys, and then two world-class workers, Malenko and Saturn, who can slide right into that kind of work rate part of the show. I don't know if any of these guys are ever going to be, like, needle-moving main event guys like a Rock or an Austin, or even now I would... Harken to say a Triple H, but like, wow! And, and just having them come in and show up, and having them look so strong in that opening segment, and having them affiliated with Foley, which is—I don't know if I love that so much, but I think it works to kind of this is this the way this is presented strikes me as a JR kind of produced and JR kind of uh, idea uh, introduction They bury WCW so hard. JR is just kind of playing oh coy about like hey Bischoff fuck you I stole your I stole four of your guys and your company is is gone and I know Bischoff's not there anymore but that, that kind of vibe like hey WCW like you know fuck you I'm I'm personally killing your company by taking four of your up and comers good luck and then they have Foley backstage and they continue to bury WCW they never mention WCW but they, they do and then these guys just look like badasses and and the presentation just could not have been better. Like, as far as debuting new guys this month, the Fed just hit it out of the park.
1: Billy, what do you make of the four new acquisitions for the Fed?
2: Well, this is uh, a big get for the WWF. Um, You know, uh, we've all read the rumors online about what's happening with Benoit, Malenko, Saturn, and Guerrero. I personally didn't think the Fed would pick up uh, Malenko. I just didn't think they would be the sort of guy to go to. But obviously, they're coming in as, as a group because they've left as a group. This is uh, it's pretty much a big deal for them to have, have arrived. And the whole angles that took place on television... It was generally shocking, and it had a lot of people, you know, uh, rightly so, wondering what is going to happen next. It was, as Eric said, it was very well presented, and they've done a really good job with them so far. I do can't really see them being main event guys, but you know, you got them throw them in the mid card. Uh, maybe you do a Benoit and Hunter match some point that would probably be a good idea, but I just can't see them advancing above the upper mid card, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I think the four of them are just unbelievably strong acquisitions. And I mean, this month, you're right, Eric pointing out uh, what a month for debuting new guys this month alone, adding Taz, Benoit, Saturn, Guerrero, Malenko to a roster, which the rumble exposed is very thin. Well, you throw those four, five guys in the mix and the rumble not looking quite as thin in the mid card anymore. Especially when you've still got people like Kurt Angle, who, uh, like very much an up and comer within the company. It feels like for me, like introducing them as a group is like fantastic. We get them all on screen and like, like as a unit to start with, but the sooner they, not immediately, but the quicker they sort of pan away from that sort of four-person faction idea, obviously aligned with Cactus Jack for now, um, would be better and see them as individuals. Because we've now, when you look at the WWF, we've got an excellent main event scene. At least um, if you include Austin, we don't we, we don't really know when he'll be back. Um, but if you include Austin, you've got Triple H, who I think is... Uh, very well liked and like, especially coming off uh, not not liked in terms of like a baby face but like he's a he's a, a main event level guy now. Uh, you've got The Rock and you've got Stone Cold Steve Austin to come back. You've got three absolutely top level guys there. Um, in the tag division, you've got the Hardys, you've got the Dudleys, you've got the Acolytes, you've got the New Age Outlaws, you've got Edge and Christian, and so on and so forth. Uh, And in the mid-card picture, you've got Chris Jericho, Chris Benoit, you've got Kurt Angle, you've got Taz, you've got Perry Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko. And then you've got all the guys that have existed on this roster um, before all the new acquisitions came along. And you've still got guys like Kane, X-Pac, The Big Show, like to throw in the mix at any level. You can sort of plug in and play those guys up and down the card. And that roster doesn't look quite as thin anymore. And... It's amazing how quickly things can turn around, or the perception of things can start to change, because I think we're heading towards a point where we could see a real upturn in overall quality of the in-ring especially for the wwf and obviously there's still going to be weaknesses and stuff we need to work on and i don't know if they're any, ever going to have anything resembling a women's division um but whatever the mess is with the women on that roster as the sooner that gets sorted out or thrown away completely the better but we're heading at a stage now where this time 12 14 18 months ago we had a terrible tag division we had no mid card and then we had a main event with basically these guys in it but hunter wasn't really there yet and now we've got a great tag division the makings of an exceptional uh upper mid card and a great main event scene and i think when you add those three ingredients together you're pretty much 90 of the way through having a good like a, a, a complete roster like it's it, I don't know if I'm getting overexcited, um, but I think the potential here is, is just enormous. And I think um, that will do it for our WWF uh, January 2000 episode of the show. Um, I'd like to thank firstly, Eric for being on the show and your great contributions as always. We ended
3: 1999 at the lowest of lows. And we enter the year 2000 on the highest of highs. Here's to a, a good year. It can't be worse than last year.
1: No, it's got an exceptionally low bar to clear. And we've had a, uh, I think we're, we're one from one for, uh, for, for good months overall so far I would say so yeah fingers crossed that the rest of the year can stay at that level and also a massive thank you to Billy. Billy thank you for being on the show and uh, excellent as always from yourself.
2: Chris you liar. I am no uh, that, such thing. Right, thank you very much for having me on always a pleasure never ensure.
1: Um, and I have been your host, uh, Chris White. So uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, coming back uh, in the year 2004 t- t- for the WWF side of things. Um, yeah, it was a, a really fun month, which hasn't happened for a while on, on the Fed side of things. It's been a, it was a tough year 99, but uh, if this month's indicative of how things are going to be for the rest of the year, I'm feeling hopelessly optimistic and uh, we'll see if I am going to be revealed to be a fool but yes until next time thank you very much for listening and goodbye
0: and the road dog in knocking oh, Al still all the way outside the ring you know what I think the outlaws are doing I think the outlaws are showing up for those four guys from well, the, four guys from down south they're sitting out there well, they're not from down south anymore these guys are free agents that's my knowledge the road dog right out there amongst them in the front row, and the cover he back gonna ring on a near fall. Road Dogg having some words. Hey, oh, oh, the Road Dogg just—he took the first shot. What's he crazy? And there's gonna be hell to pay here. The Road dog took a shot at these four radicals, yeah, and there's a Road big dog mistake. Is, the Road dog is dang is a mistake. Yeah. Terry Saturn in the ring. Saturn with a suplex can't do that! Eddie Guerrero! Eddie Guerrero! On top! Ah!